Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories, the podcast for the LGBTQI plus storytelling night I host and program around the country. If you're a first time listener, welcome. Please check out the back catalogue of stories. There's some really, really wonderful work there. And please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so you can stay up to date. Rose Bellamy is a writer whose work has appeared in The Big Issue, Daily Life, Huffington Post, Junkie, Kill Your Darlings and other publications. Rose has contributed essays to Living and Loving in Diversity, an anthology of Australian multicultural queer adventures, and Going Postal, More Than a Yes or No, which was published by Brow Books on the one-year anniversary of the announcement of the Yes Vote. Rose was shortlisted for the Scribe Nonfiction Prize in 2014 and won the Stonington Prize for Poetry in 2016. They're a PhD candidate and casual academic at the Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society based at La Trobe University. And (laughs) in all their spare time, Roz is also the new deputy online editor at Archer magazine and invites you to send them your pictures. Roz Bellamy. I discovered my first problematic faves at my grandparents' house. Their home was my hideaway, a place where the outside world couldn't reach me. Nana and Popsy had a bedroom for me and my sister, tucked away at the very back of the house. It had cupboards filled with art supplies, cans full of silly string, paper dolls with fashionable 40s outfits, and more importantly, shelves of books. It was in these bookshelves that I discovered Enid Blyden's stories. I was fascinated by the magic faraway tree. I hope there are some people here who are into the magic faraway tree. Oh, yes, yes. There's probably something very queer about that tree. Um, Good, good, good. Um, Which the children would climb and they would find different lands at the top of the tree. As a child, the thought of climbing a tree, not that I could, I wasn't very much of a tomboy, um, climbing a tree and finding a different world at the top was incredibly alluring. I'm sure many of us feel that way right now about Earth and kind of wish we could climb up a tree and maybe access another planet. There are a few weird things about those books in hindsight. The first is what I have since identified as the cousin comes to stay trope. The slightly creepy relationship between protagonists and their cousins. In the magic faraway tree, cousin Dick comes to visit Fanny and co. It's possible that Blyton wanted to hint at something vaguely incestuous there, and the visiting cousin was the only socially acceptable cover for having a person of the opposite sex in the bedroom. It's a way to explore a character's nascent sexuality, a gateway drug, if you will. I personally prefer the more forward Judy Bloom approach to sex in books. Scandalous or go home. Another thing that felt odd was the land of take what you want, which I now realise is capitalism. Like a lot of children's and young adult books, political ideology was presented in a joyous, innocent way. Help yourself, kids. Take all the lollies you want from the shop, all to your heart's content. You didn't have to think about who was making all those unlimited lollies and what their life and working conditions were like. That wasn't something I really had to think too much about as a child. So the unlimited lollies and toys seemed pretty wonderful. But now I think about the young readers who always went without. Probably a bit different for them. The characters loved using the word queer, even if their worlds were terribly straight. Despite the word meaning something pretty different at the time, there were some things that were pretty queer in those stories. There was the tomboy George. Let's hear any George. Yes, George. George in the famous five who set little queer hearts ablaze. There was also a butch George in Nancy Drew. Um, Yes, thank you. 
Actually, when I mentioned my topic for tonight to Marissa, who will be um, speaking a bit later, they mentioned the very gay midnight picnics that took place at Mallory Towers. And I had to quote Marissa, who said, sure, it was just food at those picnics. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, describing a character as a tomboy in these books was definitely a euphemism for Dyke. Now, I found the utopic nature of these worlds very appealing. Despite the conflict occurring in their lives, the worlds that they lived in seemed pretty damn great. Nature was untouched by humans. Everyone had happy families and enough food in their bellies. So I didn't read any further or more critically into this world. My British grandparents, who supplied the Trixie Belden, Enid Blyden and Gerald Durrell books, seemed convinced of the wonders to be found in Britain and its quaint villages. So I also became besotted. These books were my holy texts for most of my childhood and adolescence. The world around me, while privileged, had problems, bullies, cruelty. So I clung to these utopic worlds where the good guys didn't just make it through but saw justice. A lot of these texts fit into what I now realize there's a name for, thanks to Tumblr, called the problematic fave. The term was actually coined in 2013 by yourfaveisproblematic.tumblr, if you want to check it out later. Um, and the website's aim is to draw attention to problematic shit your favourite celebrities have done. Blyton's books were problematic in lots of ways. Some were obvious, like gender roles, gollywogs, xenophobia, but some were more subtle. Like so many things in the Western world, the books made being white, straight, cisgender, able-bodied and Christian seem like the norm. Not just the status quo, but essential and immutable. Why would you dare to question it? I certainly didn't think to question it until I unlearned a lot of things I'd learned at school. As an adult, my two faves, Scully and the X-Files, and I'm sure yeah, there's going to be Scully enjoyment here, and Carrie in Homeland, work for the FBI and the CIA. The showrunners love to put attractive people in the uniform of really problematic institutions. It's like being encouraged to lust after the most disturbing costumes on Halloween. There's a TV trope I fall for every time, the unconventional, feisty femme agent. They tend to be sexy in a way that is uncomfortable for a viewer on the far left of the political spectrum. I'm left wondering uneasily, why do I have a thing for FBI and CIA agents? <laughs> and these two shows are high on the problematic scale. I've watched The X-Files as a moody teen and as a moody adult. The show depicted the problematic nature of the FBI, but also brought conspiracy theories back into the mainstream. It made conspiracy theorists appear brave, with Mulder the obvious hero for chemtrailers, anti-vaxxers and false flaggers. Now, Homeland, my current problematic fave, has really outrageous depictions of countries in the Middle East. It actually ended up in the news when three street artists who had been commissioned to do the sets to make them authentic at the refugee camp deliberately painted the following. Homeland is racist. Homeland is a joke and it didn't make us laugh. And hashtag Black Lives Matter on the sets, which was only found after post-production, which is pretty great. <laughs> I remember feeling torn the first time I realised that some of my favourite writers, many of whom are members of marginalised communities, are problematic faves. I've quoted dreamy lines of poetry on social media only to realise how many of my faves are transphobic. It's always painful to realise yet another writer is actually on that problematic fave list. And marginalised people are often held to a higher standard for their behaviour, which can seem unfair. 
It bothers me because many artists on the problematic fave list are often doing important work alongside their problematic decision making. Now, I'm not justifying their sentiments, they're pretty awful, but there are some positive things alongside the problematic. The reason that these texts are our faves in the first place. So in the X-Files, Mulder's obsession with the truth taught me that I didn't have to accept the dominant narratives at school and in society. In Homeland, Carrie's bipolar disorder is handled really sensitively, which has been enormously helpful during my own diagnosis. Like most avid readers, and especially those trying to escape reality, I've always used fiction to process my lived experience. Personally, I think it's less important to label the text problematic. Rather, we should find it problematic that so many texts sit unexamined for the most part. Now, when those blighted children climb back down that faraway tree, they didn't talk to their parents about the weird shit they saw up there at the top. <laughs> they would come back after seeing some really interesting things with Moonface and a much wider world, and just as many of us who read books or watch TV or films encounter worlds beyond our own, we turn off Netflix and go to bed, we shut the book and feel kind of queasy. We don't engage, though, in the sustained way that these texts, even the crap ones, require. I like to think back to the soft, cosy bed at my Nana and Popsies, where I first stuck my face in those books and became engrossed in strange, quirky, and complex worlds. It's where I learned that books, even the incredibly problematic ones, can help you process, help you forget, help you feel less lonely, and even help save your life. I think about TV shows like The Unit, Law and Order SVU, Mad Men, Little Britain, The L Word, Pretty Little Liars, that I became addicted to despite some disturbing storylines, themes, and relationship dynamics. So much of my 20s was spent watching problematic TV. But I think problematic faves offer us something, a way to understand more about ourselves and the world around us. I like to revisit my problematic faves and engage with the feelings that they bring up, why they made me feel good and why they made me feel so uneasy. And I believe that it's there in that place between that good feeling and that uneasiness where learning, growth and change happens. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and consider signing up to my crowdfunding page on Patreon. Small monthly donations help me keep my business afloat as an independent producer and artist. And in exchange, you get discount tickets, giveaways, merch and that warm glow of supporting the arts. For event updates or those excellent social pages pics from the various events, follow Queer Stories on Facebook. And for late night ramblings, follow me, Maeve Marsden, on Twitter and Instagram.